hologram sitting there. That's, that's right, yeah. Who is this guy, oh, right? Really? Yeah. yeah. First time in a month. Did you sell your company? <laughs> no, but, but I do have an, I do have an investor I'm about to put ninety million in. Really? Yeah. Should close. <laughs> they're telling us it's gonna close Friday. I don't believe it'll be next week. Yeah, but don't don't you hate it when they're only putting in ninety million and not a hundred? Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. it's just it just irks you. I know. I get it. I I, I feel. It. Yeah. What can you do? Fantastic. Well. It's never a done deal. It's never a done deal. Yeah, that's right. Till the right. check's the wire hits. It's yeah. never a yeah. done deal. So the check is clear. That's right. Till the check is clear. All right. So um, we have uh, Brock Wright listening online. Praise God for that. And uh, Gregory will be uh, listening. All right. I'm uh, I'm thrilled to have you guys. And let's uh, let's jump right in. We're in Romans chapters, I believe, four. Through six. And uh, good stuff. I just gotta I just gotta find it. So that's too soft. Too soft. Yeah. See that's too hard. Yeah, you'll you'll fall asleep. I hear you. Man. <laughs> I mean I don't have to shower after the gym, but <laughs> my wife always says, why are you choosing the soft seats? Those are the ones that maybe want to go to sleep because they're soft and comfy. All right, so uh, just let me uh, kind of tee this up and let you know where we're going. Um, we're in the midst of Romans, first half, and then we're going to go. And, and by the way, we you know just uh, want to welcome Joshua and hope he finds this acceptable and so forth. Um, we are, uh, hang on a second, I've got a, yeah, got my uh, study guide coming. Um, so we're in the first half of Romans. I've already written all of the classes for the second half, and we'll get through Romans. Once Romans is done, and we're on four through six tonight, um, we'll be jumping into Acts again. We left off at the beginning of Acts chapter 20. We only read the first three verses. As Paul says, well, you know, we went back to Corinth and I spent three months there. What did he do in those three months? As far as I can tell, he wrote this letter to the Roman church and it probably took three months. Um, when we finish Romans, we'll go back to Acts and we'll go from the beginning of Acts 20 until Acts 28. We'll finish Acts. And then we'll start hitting the rest of the new, the uh, apostolic scriptures that we have not hit yet. And it's going to be rapid fire. Because remember, what we're looking for is Holocaust, how to live. What about me? What, what, what should I do? I'm not a Jew. How do I live? Uh, so I think we're going to go and find ourselves in the middle of Revelation and then struggling with, well, what does that mean? That's, that's prophetic. So uh, that's where we're at. That's what we're doing. And uh, I, feel, I feel pretty good about where we're at. Everybody seems to be plugged in. We're on uh, Lesson 35 tonight. And uh, I'm trying to get to that now. 28. 
So what we learned in the first uh, three chapters of Act of uh, Romans was, you know, just pretty clearly, you don't have any excuse. Whether it's the general revelation we talked about, mm -hmm. Psalm 19, with the the sun, the stars, the, the moon, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. You you can't look at the skyscraper and say, what a beautiful design, and not recognize the designer. You can't look at an amazing building and go, wow, this is an architectural marvel. Look at this. This building uptown Charlotte has, has like a handle on top of it and not recognize that there was an architect to the design. So uh, with that in, in mind, he swoops through chapter one, heads on to chapter two, and by the time he gets to chapter three, he doesn't care whether you're a non-Jew or a Jew. You've either got the Torah or you've got the world around you. You're without excuse and all have sinned. And we're without excuse. So we pick up in uh, lesson 35 on page 37 uh, in Romans chapters uh, four through six. Um, so now we're, we're picking up this concept of Abraham was credited with faith, but when that happened, he wasn't Jewish because we define Jewish biblically by being circumcised. And he wasn't circumcised at that time, so he was a non-Jew. And the father of Saul, um, we we walk forward with that concept. So, what do you think? As you as you walk through this, did you feel like uh, four, five, and six were talking more to Jews, and you felt out of place, or how do how do you feel? Give me give me give me some love here. I'm gonna say it was definitely non-Jews. Okay. So. I think it was just the way that he was talking to them that helped describe that it wasn't a Jewish community that he was addressing. Okay. So the religious leaders of that day said, you're a non-Jew. You want to, I mean, even though you've got a Jewish-ish beard, Jewish-ish, very cool. If you want to have a place in the world to come, you need to, well, you need to be Jewish. And since God didn't choose that you would be Jewish by birth, you need to become Jewish. And you do that by going through this ritual circumcision process that would, when you come up out of the mikvah, you'd be born again. It's a Jewish term, not a Christian term. You'd be born again. A Jew, indeed. 
which isn't a problem. It sounds cool. But at the same time, that's not what Abraham. Correct. Yeah. Abraham didn't do that. And secondly, to genetically change you is more than we can do even today. So someone might consider you Jewish and treat you as Jewish, but you're not really Jewish, right? So the problem we have is how do non-Jews be saved? And Paul's argument here in 4, 5, and 6 is ethnicity is not the issue. Becoming Jewish is not the case because not all Jews are saved. It's those who have been quickened by the Spirit of God. It's those who have been changed inwardly. So, what's what do we do with that? Let's assume he's new. We don't really know him yet, but let's assume all of us here have been changed by God and we're going to have a place in the world to come. Does that mean you're Jewish? You were a non-Jew by God's design and you're still a non-Jew by God's design? Yeah. So you can't change God's design by going through man's ritual conversion process. Correct. Personally, I don't have a problem with that. Does that make sense? In, in defense of Judaism. Go for it. Judaism doesn't say, yeah, if, if you go to the mikvah, before you go to the mikvah, you're Italian, right. Irish Italian, or right, right, right. You go to the mikvah, you come out a wet Irish town, right? So your genetics don't change. Okay. Your blood. It's a legal, it's a change in legal status from a Jewish perspective. Which actually, all, any, whatever you're mikvahing for, whether it's to go into the temple, whether it's your mikvahing dishes that you just bought or just right. acquired, whether it's a mikvah for repentance, or it doesn't matter what the purpose of the mikvah is, There's a the whole point of the mikvah is your status changes on the when you come out on the other side. I love this. So, so here's the difference, right? So, I'm saying they say you're a Jew indeed. You're a Jew in all respects. Is the English translation from the Talmud. And truth be told, not to confuse everybody, I believe that. And you know, I think I think Greg gets where I'm coming from. But the reality is there's been a change of status. You know, I can There has been a change of status, but are you equal? In the eyes of God or man? God. Well, I guess, well, see, God, I would say you are as close to equal. And man, no. 
Because if I if I'm do you, I'm, do you think I'm that God percent. requires that you have a mikvah? In order for you to have a place in the world to come. No. And yet his son, who spoke only what the master said, the divinity will skip on right now, said Baptist repent, said have have repent and be baptized, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So being baptized is not being mikvah. Oh no no, it's, it was yeah. Well, well now it's baptism yeah. is the Greek translation of mikvah from here. But would you consider a so, modern so, day baptism? For, oh no no well, no 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 wait 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 don't don't confuse the timing now. Let's not get acronistic. We're talking about what the master said. He that said that was a mikvah. He said, "Repent and be baptized for yeah. the kingdom of heaven is hand. So did Yochanan. He said baptism. He really threw me off. So. <laughs> So there, there you've got, you, there needs to be a change of status. Change of status. Mm -hmm. Now, if Isaac didn't know to be baptized, but still trusted in God, <laughs> then he could still, he, he would still be. How would he know that he needed to, how would he know, and Paul's argument is, is uh, in, uh, I don't know if it's in this, lesson or the next but how would he know that he needed to trust in Messiah Yeshua unless he had been preached to and if he had been preached to would that preacher have left out the fact that he needed to be baptized as a sign of a change of status okay. right okay. okay so I'm thinking so I'm still perplexed by your question though in the eyes of God or in the eyes of man in the eyes of man, we know what the answer is. There is, well, I believe that in the eyes of man, if I am a Jew who is of Jewish blood through and through, mom we'll and father. It, we'll call that a Jew. And a non-Jew through conversion is next to me, then they're not in the same boat as I am, as I've understood. They are still held to the same, if not more, responsibility. Okay. Do they have but, a place in the world to come? Well, I don't think being Jewish means you have a place in the world to come. Nor does God, but that's not the point. They've repented. They've been baptized. Whether you're Jewish or not. They've been yes. circumcised. Do they now have a place in the world to come? I'm inclined to say yes. No problem. They have a place in the world to come. So the, 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 the issue is, I mean, Rashi said, we, don't, we, don't, we shouldn't trust a convert for what, 10 generations? Something like no, that. No, it's four. Four generations. Because I mean, you can't trust Gentiles. I, I found this to be true, actually. <laughs> um, not with regard to conversion, but so just saying, in general. Yeah. It's four generations to show that through lineage it, it continues. No. It sticks. That they were serious. There's yeah. faithfulness. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's, you know, the multi-generational faithfulness right. actually comes to Covenant pass. faithfulness is what they're looking for. Right? That kind of deal. My great grandkid. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. So, okay. Okay.
You had a thought. Well, I have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you breathe like you wanted to say something. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think the, the main point, at least in, at least in chapter four, that Shoal's making is what... How do you attain righteousness in the eyes of Hashem? And therefore have a place in the world to come? Is through faith. Period. End of statement. Because I was just going to ask a question. What if... It's not even not, not even mikvah. I was going to ask, what if circumcision it's was not even you learned about? Circumcision. It's faith. Amen. Which is exactly what Abraham did. Right. So, so now was, what, so what, so what, so what do you do with being Jewish? That's where circumcision well, the question Jewish, becomes, or what do you do with the faith? If you have faith and you believe that God will save you and you can't save yourself, which I think go hand in hand, now what do you do? What do you ask? It's hard to ask God and get an answer. You, you agree? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, you get no answer from God, so you ask God's people, and they say, "Well, you got to be circumcised, and you got to go to the mikvah, and then you got to make sacrifice." So you do that. When you come up out of the water, you're a Jew indeed. What saved you? The sacrifice, the circumcision, the belief, or the mikvah? The faith beforehand. That's where, where Greg is coming from. Yeah. That's that's the, you, the bottom line. So you have, in, at this point in time, you had a teaching um, that was that was a prominent teaching within the Judaisms of the day that said you have to be legally Jewish in order to have a place in Olam Haba because, you know, all Jews, you know, have a place in Olam Haba. Ironically, and, and non-Jews don't. Right, and, non, and non-Jews don't, unless unless the non-Jew becomes legally Jewish. Um, the well, actually, that's I'm not sure that's a true statement. I don't think Judaism ever said a non-Jew never has a place in the world to come. But I think what Judaism was teaching was that in order to Guarantee yourself a place in the world to come. You have I, to be legally Jewish. I, I don't think Judaism has ever taught there's that no no non that there's not never that everyone there's not a non Jew that can't can't. Yeah. Well, while, while I agree, I've never read that either. You've read the the negative of that in in the midrash and so forth. I mean, it's clear all Jews have a place in the world to come. We don't even yeah, need to yeah, talk but, about but the, at the same, But at the same time, though, in order to become legally Jewish, right, you have to go through this conversion process. Right. And and as you're standing before the Beit Din, the Beit Din actually says, why do you want to be Jewish? Don't you know you could lose your place in the world to come if you become Jewish? That's true. So, because what's their point? Their point is, look, as a non-Jew... There may be a you, chance. You know, all you need to do is the seven laws of Noah. And you're good. You're considered righteous. If you become Jewish, you're taking on the entire yoke of the Torah. A whole lot more opportunity for you to mess up. 
And so you may actually put it, be putting your eternity in jeopardy by doing this. Are you sure you want to do this? So, so this brings up a good point. That whole concept is nowhere found in the scripture. Which, just to go back on that, I think it's really interesting because it's very profound what you just said, that they look at it as, well, you only have seven things to follow. But and it's not scripture. Well, but for the non-Jew who takes on that yoke, we know some who have, they're held to a way higher standard, as I understand it, where... Say I'm Jewish. I'm Jewish. My daughter, I was born into this. Let's let's make clear. They're not called to a higher standard, but a more consistent standard. Well, I guess the Jew like, can mess up and everybody kind of deals with it. But if you if you are a non-Jew, you need to keep them all before you can even convert. But but there but there's a reason for that. It's not that the it's not that the it's not that the person who was born Jewish, I mean, so my daughter, right, she converted to Orthodox Judaism. She attends a Sephardic shul. Uh, half, the, half the people that attend the shul um, are not Shomer Shabbat. They'll, they'll pull up in the car on Shabbat morning to go to, go to service. My wife and son-in-law, my son-in-law is Jewish, my wife, I mean, my wife, my Daughter. daughter is not. She converted. You know, they had to move within walking distance to the shul because they cannot drive on Shabbat, right? So he would the be given advice. She is not. The point is this: from the from from Judaism's perspective, all the other Jews, ethnic Jews, who are driving to shul, Judaism would say they're doing it wrong. They should they shouldn't be driving on Shabbat. But they didn't. They were born Jewish, and so they were their their obligation is born out of the fact that they are Jewish. Right. They didn't sign up for it. Right. Right. Whereas the non-Jew is actually stepping forward and ma- making a public vow in front of witnesses to say, "I am taking this on, and you have to hold me accountable to it." So you can't convert to Orthodox Judaism. Because now 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 you're really now that's almost double double jeopardy because you've made a vow and now you've broken the vow. And and that's also a sin for you. A very grave sin. So let me let me look at this from two perspectives. And we've got some some comments from the the riffraff here. Uh, so let's see. This guy's um, telling me. I'm sorry? This guy's telling me. This is a name trail. Yeah. Same thing, though. So right? uh, uh, Joshua says, uh, you know, he, he Paul's just using Moses here to say that it's it's faith that gets it, uh, into the family of God. Uh, and Brock is, is saying the same thing. Um, Greg says the Rambam writes that anyone who has acquired knowledge of God and follows the Sheva Mitzvot, B'nai Noach, the Sheva Noahide laws, is considered righteous and will go to heaven. So, so let, let's, let's 
let's speak to, to both the whole Noahide thing and uh, faith in Messiah Yeshua. So I think that what we need to admit or examine is that in that day and, and maybe even to today, if you want to present yourself to Orthodox Judaism and say, I, I, I want to be a part of the club. If you're doing that, then you need to follow their rules. And their rules say, okay, well, then you need to become better than us. Because you can't water down what we've got. So demonstrate that you're at least keeping the commandments as well as we are. And then we'll go through the process and you'll be part of the family. And from that day forward, you're Jewish. I think the problem here is that we're presenting ourselves to man and saying, I want to be a part of the people of faith. I don't, I don't think that's presented in the scripture. We, we know several people now who have submitted to this. God bless them. I, th I think Greg and I have, uh, have talked over many years, and uh, I can't speak for him, lest I malign him publicly. Um, I would, I would convert to Orthodox Judaism in a heartbeat. Because everybody, except you, who knows me, knows it obviously has nothing to do with my place in the world to come. It has only to do with how I interact with Jews on the planet. Because my place in the world to come is secure. Why? Because I know that Messiah Yeshua is a son of God, that he came, he lived a righteous life, he died, was raised by the power of God because of his righteous life. And that if I trust that my sins have been forgiven by his sacrifice and nothing of myself, I have a place in the world to come. We're done. Would I would I convert to Judaism in a heartbeat? But I'm a player in this messianic game where where dance we're doing. And if I were to convert to Judaism, it would send a bad message. I therefore can't do it. But I would do it in a heartbeat if I could and didn't have to move. I can't stand to move so that I could walk to the shul. I would, I would do it in a heartbeat, simply because I want to spend more time with Jews than I do with Gentiles. I hate you people. It really, you know, you're just... <laughs> I'm only kidding. Um, so th that's, that's my heart. So... Um, so Christianity kind of also has their process or formula for 
how you become part of that club, right? So, you know, for most Protestant forms of Christianity, or certainly most evangelical forms of Christianity, you know, it's some variation of the Romans Road thing, right? So you're not not saved unless you confess Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior, and He died for you, and you know, so forth and so on, and and then you're you're baptized, you know, and if you haven't done all that according to whatever the, their particular formula is, you're not you're you have you don't have a place in the world to come. And some church problem say you didn't the problem with all that it right. is it's still it's still it still misses what Shaul is saying here. It's faith. Not an act. It's faith in Hashem. But it, it's, it's um, I would argue faith is an act, but it's, it's faith and trust that Hashem will, uh, will provide um, place. Uh, will provide your salvation, your redemption. But I, I, I say it's not an act in that you can't see the faith. But the baptism you can see, the circumcision you can see, the sacrifice you can see. It's faith and not something that you physically do. I agree, you do need to believe, and that is an act on your behalf, I agree. But I, not a physical thing that outwardly people can see. But I think, though... But I think, though, um, the faith that Abraham demonstrated was his obedience to God. I agree. So, you know, and I think I think James kind of no. says the same thing, no, right? I'm with you. I'm with so, you. in other words, I, I think faith. So, faith, so, faith is so to, wait, wait, let's, not belief. Yeah, let's faith. Let's. Or faithfulness is probably even a okay. Term. Okay, so let's let's define it as because I need to juxtapose it against the Jewish concept of conversion or the Christian concept of doing these things, right? Um, because I've been in Baptist churches that said, "Well, when you got baptized, oh, that's great, but you didn't do it here. Yeah. So you need to be rebaptized, you know, Anabaptist, right? So." Oh, you were baptized? That count because we sprinkle. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. Oh, where was the water from? Right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So I'm I'm with you on your point, and it's it's beautiful, Greg. And the concept that faith was exemplified or borne out in obedience, but obedience to what? And it's obedience to God. Yeah. And we're not hearing voices now. It's obedience to His. Torah, right? So how do I know this guy's saved? How did I know he was saved before he married my daughter? I'm looking at his life and now, for the very first time, he actually wants to be with God's people. He wants to study and God's words. No guarantee. That's right. But he desires to know God's word. These are changes that are beyond physical. And now, 
to your point, I want to be obedient to the word of God, and I am. Hey, let's steal that. What? I can't do that. Why not? Because God's word says I shouldn't do that. God says I shouldn't do that. So we've, we've got a change of character, inward, deep, visceral character, that now is coming from some change that evidently is from the outside. It's God doing that. So, so I, I get I, that. Right. So I think it's a nuance, but it's a really important nuance because just doing stuff The only benefit of doing stuff is whatever benefit the stuff itself provides. What makes doing stuff all the difference, I mean, what makes that the difference between heaven and hell, <laughs> literally, right, is the, uh, the, 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 the attitude of the heart in terms of why? What's the motivation for Amen. doing the stuff? Amen. If the motivation for doing the stuff is to make yourself look righteous in front of everybody else, or, or, or even, or even you're just doing it as fire insurance, right? As opposed to doing it out of just a genuine, heartfelt love, love and gratitude for your Creator. There's the right there is 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 the is the difference between that's the hair that gets split between, in my opinion, between uh, uh, obedience unto righteousness versus versus works for some other purpose. Exactly. Amen. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you. Perfect. Um, why do we do what we do? Because he loves me. It's not because I want to earn a place in the world to come. And if I do just a little bit more, I'll have a bigger niche in the book. If, 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 if you're going down that road, you're on the wrong road. And it's, it's the wrong road. So. This takes me back to James is talking to a Jewish community, faith without works is dead, right. right? Now, Paul's talking to a non-Jewish community. I, I really think, okay. if I could just make this one point, because to me, it, it's in the English language, it, it makes it more clear. Okay. What, what typically gets translated at, into faith in English, which faith in English is, a, is an abstract concept. I think really emuna to the extent that whatever verse you're quoting right. or would, would be would, would work back to that Hebrew word. Yeah. I think a better English translation of that is faithfulness, because okay. faithfulness implies action, action as opposed to just some Ooh. some mental assent to an idea. Agreed. And and pistis, the, the Greek word, implies. An, an action, a motivation, right. a movement, rather than simply... Yeah. Because fa in English, faith and belief are interchangeable. But, you know, 
the the legion believed right. Yeshua was the Son of God, but I I'm going to walk out on the limb here and say they didn't have a place in the world to come, right? right? So faithfulness to God, because faithfulness is really more about how you are. Um, it's 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 a, it encompasses both the attitude of the heart and what you actually they're what you're actually doing. They're, they're, right? It's, it's they're they're tied together. Right. And so Paul's addressing a non-Jewish community to where he's getting to the very fundamentalness of what that faithfulness is, because even instilled in us is a moral law of don't steal, don't kill. Where do we get that from? And he's, I guess, starting off to be like, okay, well, God made you. These are the things that are already a part of you. And connecting it back to God. Yeah, to, to use a to use a concept from mystical Judaism, that's the spark of God in every soul. Right. Because every person is made in the image of Hashem. Mm -hmm. And the soul that we all have, you know, you know, is in essence a piece of Hashem, right? So in, in Jewish thinking, this is, you'll hear the term sparks, right? Mm -hmm. Every person has a spark of God in them because of who we are as, as being made in his image. That spark of Hashem in everybody is that kind of uh, subconscious, primordial compass that everybody has to a certain degree, right? right? Um, which is why in almost every culture, you know, there is some base, you know, I mean, everybody kind of knows whether they have religious, you know, whether they have scripture available to them or not, everybody kind of knows killing an innocent person is probably <clears throat> wrong, right? right. And, and that concept of that base morality, again, Take from a Jewish from perspective, harkens back to that spark, that's, that consciousness, subconscious um, connection to Hashem that everybody has to some degree or another. Right? But back in this time, this was, this was huge. This is the dividing wall coming down. This was the Gentiles having a place coming, coming in and to define that for everybody, here it is. I think you bring up the timing. Mm -hmm. And if we go back to the walls and we look at that corner, when the master was born, the court of the Gentiles was larger than any other court. It was larger than the court of the women. It was larger than the court of the Jews or men. Uh, that whole Temple Mount was taken up by Gentiles. And the question of the day is, 
what do we do with all these Gentiles? And a ritual process to make sure they were sincere. And, you know, you, you can't blame them. I mean, what they went through was makes sense uh, to keep the, uh, the faith pure. Paul comes on the scene, and his message was without compromise. These folks who believe that Yeshua is the Messiah have been given the Holy Spirit. They have sp spoken in tongues. They're obviously moved by the Spirit. So, evidently, Gentiles have a place in the world to come without becoming Jews. Non-Jews do not need to become Jews to become inheritors of the world to come. This argument is what moved him along through his missionary journey. Because Judaizers are those who would say, no, 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 that's not true. You have to be a Jew. And therefore, you have to go through a ritual conversion process to turn from a non-Jew to a Jew in order to have a place in the world to come. But, by the way, this was... The Judaizers were oftentimes also believers in Yeshua. Right? I mean, they, in other words, they were saying, you know, to have a place in the world to come, you have to believe in Messiah Yeshua. And, and you have to be Jewish. Be Jewish. Yeah. And so, Paul's hmm. problem with that was, well, wait a minute, that's not true for all these other reasons. And if you're trusting in a legal process to get you into, into if, you're if you're trusting in the, in the legal process of becoming legally Jewish, then you're Which not trusting. with God. You're not trusting in the work of, of, Messiah, of, Yeshua. of Messiah Yeshua. Which means it's not faith, it's works. Mm -hmm. So, if, if there's anything we're going to get out of these three chapters of Romans, it's first three chapters, you are on the road to hell. Don't have an excuse. There's absolutely no excuse. Right. Whether you know the Torah or don't know the Torah, if you can see the glories of God everywhere, you're without excuse. You should look. Four, five, and six, it seems to be this concept of if you think that becoming Jewish is going to save you, well, why don't we look at the first Jew? Wasn't the first Jew Abraham? And Abraham, it was reckoned to him as righteousness through his faith. But hang on, that happened before he was circumcised. So he wasn't even Jewish. So, uh, right? So I have a problem with those... Um, and we've got a, a bunch of comments going from Joshua and Greg tonight. God bless you, as well as Brock. Um, that being Jewish doesn't do diddly. 
converting to Judaism doesn't necessarily do diddly because now you're just in the Jewish boat and the Jewish boat doesn't do diddly. It's understanding that you are without excuse and you need a savior. You need somebody to fix the problem and it's outside of you. And if that person is Yeshua and you believe that he's done that, then you shall be saved, period. We're done with that. Now, if you want to convert to Judaism, that's a different issue. It's non-salvific. And if you want to look at the works of keeping the Torah as opposed to the Noahide laws, that's cool too. That also is non-salvific. It's interesting that Paul does not mention the, the Noahide laws at all. All he does is mention circumcision, which is code for conversion, ritual conversion. Uh, but there doesn't appear to be, as, as far as we've gone through the scriptures, a concept of this, well, you're not Jewish, but... You're following those Noahide laws, and that's pretty cool. And that's not surprising, since the Noahide laws are only mentioned in the Talmud, and even then, not on one page. We've got to kind of piece it together. So. Comments? There are some who would argue that between the Roman law that was that these Gentiles were already subject to which already didn't allow murder you know and some other things that would be one of the seven uh, listed in the seven laws of Noah that the combination of the existing Roman law they were already subject to plus the four categories of obligation in Acts 15 between the two you, in essence, would encompass what the seven laws of Noah are. That's some people's view, just so you understand some perspectives out there. All right. In Roman 5, Romans 5.14, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Spectacular verse, I think. So, who was the one to come? You sure? You sure? All right. So, we can reread this. Even though whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of Yeshua. And he goes on to make it clear that Adam, if you will, represented man. And through his disobedience, and therefore sin, synonymous, We've all sinned. It's all 
going back to that. And in the same way, the master, who was not disobedient but obedient, we all get to work in that. So, death reigned from Adam to Moses. How is that? Explain that to me. That's the first part of 514. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. I see that. The instruction came Mount Sinai. Okay. Um, I know that there's sages say it goes all the way back. Maybe, right? Uh, so, but we didn't. Torah comes at Sinai. What do you do until then? believe in God and kind of hope for the best. Let me try this out. That works good. Um, so death reigned in that. You didn't have solution? Uh, yeah. An instruction manual. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think, I think part of the, at least from my perspective, because again, in chapter 4, Paul makes the statement where there is no law, there is no sin. Right. Okay. Very good. It's like all bets are off. Because, but, well, ask your question. There's no, where there's no law, there's no sin. But I guess, if there's no standard, there a to, law, if there's no standard to keep, sorry, yeah, then you can't God violate. gave a standard not to it. eat from the tree, and therefore that was a law, if you, if you will, right? It, that would be it, a standard or a law that was set forth or a guideline. Correct. Correct. Aside from that, though, was there anything else? But it, it, the point like is your, this. To your point, there is no standard aside from that. But, but there were other... So most people would say... Most people would say the only commandment they had was to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that's actually not true according to what's written in Genesis. Because before he gave them the, the, the negative prohibition to not eat of that tree, he said, you, you will, you know, you, I command you to, shall to, uh, to um, tend the yeah. garden, to um, subdue the earth. There's like three or maybe four positive mitzvot that he gives to, to Adam, and then he gives him one negative prohibition, which was to not eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, he never tells him to not eat from the tree of life, so he could eat from the tree of life all day long. All day long. So the problem is um, he, didn't, he didn't keep the positive commandments. He failed to keep the positive commandments before he before he violated the negative prohibition. I'm not, I'm not following. One of the positive misvotes was for for him to subdue the earth, which included all of 
the creatures. Man would have dominion over all the creatures. He did not assert his authority over the snake. Mm. He failed to keep the positive mitzvot of his dominion over the, the serpent. And when he failed to do that, then that made it, it that opened the door to now violate a negative prohibition. Because if you go back to the Torah, if you go back to like, like you know, Leviticus, when do we have to when when do we have to make atonement? When we violate a, a negative prohibition, but not for not for failing to do a positive commandment. That's a different issue. It's a, it's a different issue, but which is worse? I mean, so there's some real, really good, interesting discussion in well, Judaism about as this. As a parent, there's no question. I tell you to do this. I tell you not to do that. As a parent, there's no question. The not to do this is more important than the do this. No question. If you've got kids, that's a known commodity. It may be a fine hair at some time, but you violate the negative. The, that's a big deal. The way, to, the way, the best analogy that I've heard on this is envision that our so our our job is to partner with Hashem to 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 build to rectify and repair the world, right? So. Envision that concept as we've got to we've got to construct this beautiful wall, right? And we and every mitzvah, every positive mitzvah is a brick in the wall, and every negative mitzvah we're taking a brick out of the wall, right? In other words, negative violating a prohibition is destructive to creation, whereas keeping a positive commandment. Is actually constructive to to God's creation, and if you do nothing, if you just stay in bed all day, then you're having no impact. You're neither you're you're neither helping, you know, you know, um, you're you're neither helping perpetuate godliness in the world, nor are you detracting from it. But you know, you can't stay in bed all day, right? Well, maybe some people try to, but uh, so. But the point is, his failure to 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 exercise the positive commandment and take dominion over the serpent, then opens up the door to the violation of the negative prohibition. So, what's the what was the greater issue? Had he kept the positive commandment, we, he probably would have never. The door probably would have never opened to to fall uh, to be tempted to violate. The negative prohibition. So this is the other. This is the other concept is, every time we do a positive commandment, we strengthen. We strengthen our ability to be obedient to the will to be obedient to the will of God. Every time we fail to do that, it's like we strengthen. Again, using some Jewish terminology here, we're, we're strengthening. That's strengthening or empowering our yitzchara, our evil inclination. By failing to take dominion over the serpent, which was a positive commandment, he he 
doesn't strengthen his Yetzer Tov, and now he leaves his Yetzer Kara wide open to be tempted by Satan. So, so let's go ahead and put it in what Greg is saying in, in terms of today. What do we got? Four days? Two? Yep. Three uh, now. Three days. Yeah. Three days to uh, Yom HaKippurim, mm -hmm. the Day of Atonements. So, what do the sages say is the wisest thing to do when Yom Kippur is over? Put up a sukkah. Why? That's run to the mitzvah. Why? So the yeser hara could one mitzvah so keeping the keeping the the, one the, the fast yeah. leads to another. Yeah. Just as I mean, you can't you can't read part of what they said. Just as one sin leads to another. As we start to go around the porcelain during the flush, one sin. <laughs> yeah, I'm from New York, guys. I'm trying to help. Swirly. Right? You're swirling around, and one sin leads to another. But the bottom line is if you reach up and you, and you do that mitzvah, you, 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 you break. That cycle, yeah. and you you keep the mitzvah. You you actually fast on Yom Kippur. Mm -hmm. Then to keep that going, as soon as the fast is over, throw the first nail into the sukkah, because one leads to another, and it will propel itself, for, just like the swirling of the Torah. For this reason, the psalmist says. The Torah of Hashem converts the soul. So, but that presupposes so the, the to the noob or the Christian or the Messianic Christian that they tend to immediately associate the Torah with works. And there's no question the Torah is definitely definitely encompasses doing stuff because that's what faithfulness is about, right? Mm -hmm. But embedded in faithfulness is first a connection to Hashem, right? And 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 even in all the nitty gritty details of Jewish halacha, I mean, if you go pull Shulchan Aruch off of his shelf and you open to Volume One, Siman One, the very first halacha is you have to keep Hashem before you at all times. What does that mean? You have to have a connection, a spiritual connection to Hashem. That's the first halakhic requirement Amen. that's laid out in in Jewish law. Yeah, everything else is for naught. Right, because anything else you do, if you aren't doing it through a connection to Hashem, and it's and it's and you're not doing it out of an act of willful faithfulness to then the only benefit of doing it is whatever benefit that it can provide of itself. In, in this way. Because, because the, the commandments themselves are connections to Hashem. Exactly. So that wouldn't you say that if the first direction is to keep everything you do within thought of pleasing Adonai, what's different than following up Yom Kippur and the Day of Redemption's 
was putting the first nail in and leading one good act by another. And if all thoughts are on pleasing Hashem, if they are, then if they are, then all other things would fall into place. But if they're not, and you're just doing it for the sake of doing, and there's no, as the church would say, relationship, mm -hmm. there's no connection, then it's just idle yes, works. But also, yes, but also, I read in one of Daniel Appen's books, and also your son said it, about uh, praying. Well, my son said it's got to be It's right. got to be really good. Because when he opens right. his mouth, which is not very very often, but when he does, it's very profound. <laughs> it was about sometimes doing acts mindlessly or because, like, doing morning prayers. You've done it a million times and you're tired or you're depressed or you're going through a time. But that's a different issue. We have to go back to the origin. If you're doing it mindlessly, we need to go back to why you're doing it mindlessly. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing it for a connection to Hashem, if you're doing it, as the church says, for that relationship mm -hmm. with God, then we're good. Yeah. If you're doing it because your dad said you need to do this because it's the right thing to do, that won't cut it. It is good to be obedient to your father. But... Being obedient to your father, your earthly father, will not guarantee you a place Correct. to come. There it is. But it could uh, lead you to, and I guess I was, sure. I was going to what could. we're saying that by yes. starting with yes. following acts that are to please Hashem. It could. It could. I would argue it you could should be also your, do the you opposite. You be teaching your girls how to keep the Torah. They're not going to understand why or whatever, and they may not really have a, a, an understanding of what it means to be connected to Hashem. But you're still going to teach them to do it because by doing it, there's no guarantee, but there's hopefully uh, more opportunity sure. for them to come to a realization and a connection to Hashem. So, uh, and shockingly, I, I agree with, with Greg. Yeah. Surprising. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think it's important to. to to dissect what he just said or to recognize the dichotomy, right? So there's a big difference between you teaching Joshua here how to pray, why to pray, how to pray, how to rap, than there is teaching your son or your daughter how to do that. Because ultimately, if you teach your daughter, as he said, to keep the commandments and to pray and to make that connection, they're going to learn the connection from you. They're going to see the connection in your life, mm -hmm. in your eyes, in the way you act. Joshua teaching. Yes. Joshua got instruction from you. But he doesn't live with you. He doesn't see you day in and day out. Nights. Right. It's a once a week deal. Mm -hmm. The connection is the critical piece. And while you're teaching your children, the hope, train a child in the way he should go. And in the end, he will not depart from it. Why? 
because you finally realized why you're doing it. Hmm. It's not because you're obligated. It's not because you have to do it or you know, your left leg will burn into flames. It's because you desire to do it because you have this connection with Hashem. And they will learn this connection because they've seen it lived out in your life. That's the key. So, those are parenting lessons, by the way. Yeah, there it was, by the way. Sorry. Um, no. So let's let's make sure. Uh, it's so tiny when these guys write, Greg and Brock and and Joshua. I'm seeing what you're writing. All the men are running out of the room because it's so tiny. Um, so I just want to make sure we're clear. We've kind of skipped over and completely avoided the whole. Paul says, death reigned from Adam to Moses. I was going there, and then he asked a question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's okay. all his fault. So. All right. So, so let's, let's, let, you know, let's try and, and bring that to closure so that we get it. What brings death? Paul makes it clear. The Torah brings death. Right? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what sin was until the Torah came. And now I know, oops, you're not supposed to do that. And if I do that, it's sin. So how is it that death reigned from Adam to Moses if I didn't know the Torah? You want to try? Well, because Torah with a capital T, I mean, the reason he, he specifically says to Moshe is because right. it's the Moshe, it's the Torah it's, of Moshe. It's the big, right, right? yeah. Um, it's the real deal. Right, and, and, and so part of that becoming legally Jewish is taking on the, the yoke of the Torah of Moshe, right? Okay. So, you know, so I think, so the point, I think his point is that, because um, he says, for until the, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Right, right. Um, and again, law, at least in this translation, is capitalized, so that's referring to Torah Big T. At least the, the translator so right. thought so. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, so he's basically saying, you know, if we didn't get the Torah until Moshe, then how can we have sin and death prior to that? Okay. And the answer is because we did still have uh, we did still have a an, a an option to be obedient or not to Hashem because we did have commandments from Adam even though it wasn't maybe the full Torah as revealed at Sinai right um, but you still had you still had a you still had a relationship, Adam had a relationship with Hashem, and that relationship was in in part based on his faithfulness to do what God had given him to do. And when he, through his own free will, failed to do that, blew it, then we introduce sin. And and we introduce death because immediately when they sinned, 
they become aware of their nakedness, right? So they were unaware. Judaism has some really great understandings of how all that worked. But one of the very first things is to cover their nakedness. Hashem kills an animal, makes animal sacrifice, one, one might say, uh, shed blood to cover them with skin. So there's death. And then they died, right? Because he said, the day you do this, you will surely die. And they did die that day. All right. So you're exactly right. But I think Paul is focusing more on the death and the problem because he's seeing right. the big picture, right? So from Adam, who disobeyed, until Moses, we're host. Not only is there death, as Greg has said, but there's no opportunity to fix it. There's no Torah that says, oh, wait, 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 you barred his lawnmower and you you busted it? We didn't know you gotta fix it. And then you gotta add five, you know, 20, 20%? 20%. 20%. Notice the, the accountant knew it was 20%, right? So, equal weights measures. So there's, there's a means of fixing sin. From Adam to Moses, there was no way to fix sin. There was no way to repent. There was no way to make it right. See? So Paul is saying, from Adam to Moses, death reigned. You blew it? Oh, you're completely host. There's no fix. When Moses came, now we got a fix. This has nothing to do with the world to come. It's just a fix. If you do this, you fix it this way. But what else was there in the Torah? This concept of Messiah. And this concept of, in the Torah, is this concept that if you sin and are worthy of death because you've disobeyed, Messiah will fix the problem and give you a place in the world to come. Do, do you get it? There's no Messiah until there's a, until there's a Torah. Therefore, death reigns. There's so many allusions to Messiah before. Torah. No question, there are allusions, but so there could is, they not? There is have hope in that. Yes, they can. Yeah, but what reigns? What's they, really they in charge? Have, okay, death does it. Death. They don't have any yeah. means to get back. What What can you point to to say? Well, they could just look to this. After Moses, what can they look to? They can look to the Torah. Because the Torah speaks of redemption. The Torah speaks of Messiah. Every page speaks of Messiah. Prior to, prior to the Torah, there is no Messiah. You've it's, provoked someone. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, just, I'm just wondering, is there a hurricane coming? Or, you know, what's happening here? Oh, it's, it's the guy doing the trees outside. Hmm. It's done. He's just letting you know, you, if you 
if you see water dripping through the Yeah, it's okay. That's what call Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you see? I mean, Paul's not saying people can't be saved. He's just saying, if you look at what we have, we don't have the sin of this guy. And now it seems we're all hosed. Because what are we marked by? We're all marked by disobedience. And therefore, we're all marked by death. Well, what else do we have? Moses comes and says, hang on a second. From the foundation of the world, Messiah was slain. And there is hope. Moses didn't say that. Moses didn't say it? Moses said from the foundation of the earth, Messiah was slain. Moses didn't say that, but he implied it. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're taking liberties here. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's, but it's the same thing. And I think that's where Paul is coming from, is to say, if you have eyes to see, Messiah is now there. The Torah teaches you that you are a sinner, but there's a fix that God's already provided from the foundation of the world, hence the sacrifice that God made. Because the Torah... Exactly. Listed before. From before the, before the sin. The, this, the Torah was there at creation. Everything that Greg just said is described in the Torah. Right? That, that God made provision for his people by first covering them and then by ultimately covering them. That's what, what Paul is trying to say in Romans is, don't you get it? When these guys messed up, we didn't really understand what was going on until Moses. And now with Moses, we get it. That God, from the very beginning, provided a fix. And that fix is Messiah. Try not to go too esoteric here, but I can't. Scoot the spiritual way. Put your hat. Put, buckle up! Buckle up! So, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate from the fruit, right? Which they were not supposed to eat from. What kind of fruit was that? Pomegranate. So, pomegranate, he says. Any better different? Taught something different, or so. According to well, there's a couple. Of, there's a couple of opinions in Judaism. Shocker, right? But yeah, um, the opinion that seems to uh, kind of have the most weight and makes the most sense too, which is probably why it has the most weight, is that it was the fruit. It was. The tena. Tena is the Hebrew word for big. Okay. Figs. Okay. That kind of makes sense because once they ate of it and became aware, what does it say they covered themselves with? Fig leaves. Huh. Standing by the tree anyway. Yeah, exactly. you know. Hello. Um, I mean, fig by the way, good, figs, but they're figs, not worth in, all that. figs in the land of Israel. 
tend to tend to peak and you know, bloom, blossom, whatever, ripen, or in late summer, kind of like this time of year. Um, so there's all kinds of allusions to Rosh Hashanah. That, that's just because we're at that kind of time of year. Anyway, but so the tr so eating of the fig tree causes the problem. Most people would would say, right? What's interesting is when you fast forward to the Gospels, Yeshua interacts with a particular tree. That does not produce fruit? No, different. Well, he walks up to a tree. What kind of tree was this? Fig tree. A fig tree, right? And he curses it because he says the fruit wasn't ready to, it wasn't ripened, it wasn't ready to be eaten, right? So he curses the fig tree, right? Um, um, there's some really good connections here because what does Judaism say the knowledge of the tree of good and evil is? The Torah. How so? Because when the Torah is what is by which we know good and evil. Right. So the the Torah, in this sense, brings about the sin and death. What's the fix? The Torah. Right? You get bit by the cobra. How do you solve that problem? Cobra venom. You committed the sin you committed is what created the problem. So how do you fix it? You have to eat from the tree again. But instead of doing it in unholiness and disobedience, you have to eat again in holiness and obedience. This is also the reason why Messiah, who is the Redeemer, is in Gematria, Gematria's Hebrew numerology. Messiah, 358, is the same Gematria as Nachash, serpent. So Judaism says, oh, how can the serpent and the Messiah be the same? Because the Messiah is the anti-venom <laughs> of the serpent. So the way you could the way it's just like koshering. If if it was um, if it was uh, if the utensil was was made in fire, how do you kosher it? You put it back in the fire. Right? It's the same kind of idea that the way the way this the, what you did to commit the sin, how do you fix it? You do it again, but you do it in holiness. It's a deep, it's a deep concept. It's a kind of almost a paradox, but that's so. When Yeshua is saying in the Gospels, he's cursing the fig tree. It's 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 almost as though he's saying it's not time yet. In fact, he says, I think in that same passage, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, he says. That before, by the end of the summer, when um, you're, uh, how's that? I'm trying to remember how that verse is worded. Something about um, uh, 
help me out here. The, the, something about the summer and redemption draws nigh. Oh. Uh, um, uh, when the, it's something about when you see the fig tree. Yeah, um, ripening. Ripening. You know that summer is at hand. Summer. The there, thank way. you. I couldn't. Uh, yeah. So, so again, he makes this allusion to the fig tree and to summer, which interesting thing there is summer, the Hebrew word for summer is is, is kites, which is the same spelling as kets, which is end. So he's kind of saying, when you see the fig tree ripening, one way you can, the end is near. Well, if the fig tree is the Torah, metaphorically speaking in this drosh, one way to interpret that is to say when the Torah is when the Torah is um, ready for the world to eat, then the end is approaching. Mm. Well, that's interesting to me because it probably at this point in history, we have more non-Jews on the planet who are now suddenly being Inter drawn interested in Torah. to the Torah in some form or fashion, right? So in this kind of drastic sort of uh, <laughs> explanation is, you know, are we getting ready, are we reaching that point now where we as Adam, as mankind, can actually eat from the knowledge of tree, uh, the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, again, but with proper, with you know, yeah. properly, yeah. right? And yeah. therefore, fix, you know. And then, of course, we know that Yeshua, of course, is the living Torah, right? So it's all connected, right? Anyway, that's so cool. That's good. That's, that's good. good. Yeah. I, you know, Joshua mentioned, uh, you know, the whole idea of the snake and and Yeshua and the same. And, you know, you, know, you lift up the, the bronze snake and look it's upon the, it. So it's the anti-venom, anti right? I get it. So, all right. Uh, is your brain melted? Are you good? Yeah, okay. So, uh, I, I think the... The thing I want to leave you with tonight is there are some in Judaism, and I'm not speaking down to them or, or, or disparaging them, but there are some who would say, from Adam, everything's cool, and now we're, we're after Moses, and you want to come into the kingdom of God. You need to keep the Noahide laws, the laws given to know to know. And that's not what the scripture says. And I think Paul is trying to rebut that whole idea and saying, you know what? Death reigned from Adam until Moses. There was no in between. Until we had the Torah, there was no fix that we could read about, understand, and learn. Greg is exactly right. God provided the fix for 
Adam and Chava in the garden. And it was a picture that he would and did and actually literally, when you get to Revelation, had already provided the fix before there was a need for a fix. And the Torah ultimately teaches us this. But for Judaism to point back to Noah is a problem. And I think any talk of Noahide laws and all that kind of stuff to Paul is, it just doesn't work. He's saying there was a problem in the garden and the entire planet died at that point. We were all under the curse of death because of our father, Adam. And by one man, sin entered the world. By one man, redemption came. Life came. And we can go all the way up <clears throat> to Moses and then see through the Torah, through God's revelation, that specific revelation, now that we're done with general revelation, that God would fix the problem. We talked about in 2 Corinthians 3, the veil that's over Moses and the problem of them seeing the fix for our sake. But the fix was still there to be seen. So if, if we're going to avoid this concept of From Adam till Moses, death reigned. We miss Paul's point that God had the fix in the beginning. And he told him, he told us about it in his Torah. And if you'll read the Torah, unveiled, you'll see Messiah. Huh? Who do you think Adam was walking with in the cool of the day in the garden? Was him. That's what I get out of it. So, I think we need to recognize there's a whole lot of stuff we can learn from Judaism and the drashas out there. And by and large, it's all true. But we need to grab onto that and recognize how do, we, how do we know it's true? It lines up with the Torah. And that's Paul's argument. We had the word of God given to Adam. We didn't have the word of God given again in that way until you get to Moses. And on the mountain, We've got the revelation. And that revelation revealed Messiah. So, if you're, if you're missing the Messiah in all this, you missed the point of the story. From Adam to Moses, you missed the point of the story. It's all about Messiah. And we should see it on every page. Comments? Uh, absolutely yeah, yeah. and so on the one hand you have this construct in 
Judaism for the seven Noahide laws. Um, on the other side of in you know in Christianity, if you don't follow the formula, you you're, you're just going to hell. That's it. Yeah. And then and then they have to do a lot of gymnastics to you know wool. So if if Abraham didn't pray the Romans road because Romans wasn't written, written yet. yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh well, but he was righteous. How was he righteous? Justified by faith. Oh, what was he? What was his faith in? Hashem and the promised seed that Hashem was going to bring. Abraham all the way back to Genesis three. Yeah. Okay. Right. So. So Christianity has to come to grips with the fact that prior to the cross, it was still the same faith or trusting God to provide redemption. Amen. Now now we know the identity of the Redeemer, but which means we have less of an excuse than That's right. That's right. Than yeah. But but the point is, people were, people were, were justified, which is another term that is used prevalently in these chapters by, by Shaul. Because to a certain extent, you know, I know we've talked about this before, but to a certain extent, righteousness, at least in one level, is a, is merely a fun, is, is a function of what we do. Amen. Righteousness is as righteousness does. You do righteous things. You're a righteous person, but your righteousness as is is like filthy rags in comparison to the holy God, right? So I can't walk enough old ladies across the street to to, to buy my place in the world to come. Amen. So I have to rely on somebody his, else's righteousness. I have to rely on his mercy and grace to provide a way for my redemption and my justification. Or impute. Right. And that is how people have always been saved from Genesis all the way through. Amen. It has not changed. Has not changed. That's right. So how can a Jew who doesn't know the identity of his Messiah still have a place in the world to come because he still sincerely has the same faith of his forefather and he's still trusting that Hashem is going to bring redemption through his Messiah. Through Messiah. I mean, and it answers all the questions yeah. and there it is. Yeah. It's interesting that we know his name and prior to that they didn't necessarily know his name but they knew what he would do. Yeshua. He would provide the salvation. It's almost comical when you start looking at the Hebrew. It, he, he is... Judaism has salvation. more evidence that Yeshua is the Messiah than the church could ever hope to have. Amen. And any evidence the church has, they got from the Jews anyway. That's right. So, so you know, we talked is, about the veil. Yeah. The only reason they can't see it, since it's so evident... 
is because God has chosen to partially harden them. Or in the case of uh, prior to the master, Moses was veiled. And as uh, our brother Timmy, that's Tim Hay, um, but we don't wear, wear clothes. As our brother Timmy would say, those who read the Old Covenant, their hearts are veiled and they cannot see Messiah. And therefore, they are dead in their sins. But those who read the Torah and are part of the New Covenant, the veil has been lifted and they see Messiah as the need or the answer to the need uh, for salvation. Whether they know his name or not, it's really not the point. They know that they can't do it, that God will provide a redeemer and the ultimate redemption. And that's where it's at. Gentlemen, it's been great, but I need to send you home. Greg, it does me well to see you, man. While you're standing, since you're the only guy standing, go ahead, just go ahead and close this in prayer. I would be honored. Vino Makeno, we give you praise. We give you honor. We thank you for today. We thank you for these fine, distinguished gentlemen. And everybody else who showed up. Uh, who are present, uh, both physically and virtually. May you bless each one of them. May you... Just cover them with your protection, protect their families, bless the work of their hands, mm -hmm. guide their um, path and order their steps. And I pray that you would just um, allow all of us this week as we approach the holiest day on your calendar um, this coming Friday evening, that you would um, just allow us to uh, take these last uh, few days to complete uh, any introspection and make right anything that needs to be made right with you or with others. And I pray that uh, we would all be inscribed in the Lamb's Book of Life um, for now and for all eternity. Mm -hmm. I give you all the praise. Amen. 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 Thank you, bud.